0: St. Anne's Orthodox Church presents Wisdom, recordings of classes on the classic texts of the Orthodox Christian faith by Father Daniel Greeson, priest at St. Anne's Orthodox Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Here is Father Daniel.
1: My name the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And, O God, bless this time that we have to come together to study the words and the actions of your servant Ignatius. Help us to discern your truth. Help us to learn to live out that truth as we come to understand it and as we follow our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead uh, and announce this is going to be our last class on Ignatius. So we're going to go through the last three things that we have um, of Ignatius, mostly because, uh, if I remember correctly, next week we have parish council meeting, uh, which then is usually happens at this slot of time, and then after that, uh, with the Nativity fast having started, I would like us to actually. And I'll prepare in the same way that I have for Ignatius, where I've sent out, or have PDFs where you can access it. Uh, look at the nativity homilies of Pope Pope St. Leo the Great, or St. Pope Leo the Great, or however, Minus. Yeah, however you want to name him. What did uh, you call him?
0: Leonus Minus. Leon. Okay, all right. The Latin. I think mean, you can take the girl out of the Latin. Gosh, no, she can't take the Latin out of the girl. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so... So, the girl, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so we'll <laughs> be reading
1: him uh, for Nativity that's coming Here. up, and they are well-known uh, homilies or sermons from him, and I'm, I've never actually really sat down and just worked through them, so we will all be mm-hmm. e- exploring something uh, from an early father. Does anyone... um, So what we're going to be going over this morning is the epistles to the Philadelphians, Smyrnians, and then uh, the epistle or the letter that he wrote to Polycarp, his fellow bishop. Is there any... uh, So let's start with the Philadelphians. And as usual, I'll ask you all first if there's anything, a theme that popped out or a particular text or a question of the text that you see in this epistle.
0: I think One of the main things, uh, the main theme in here is, is, uh, is, is adherence to your, uh, to your bishop, or the importance <laughs> of being, uh, in unity with your, your uh, No, it's just I mean, like that,
1: that's, that gets some of Ignatius that way, right? like, uh, it's it's if you could it's fascinating how many things are attached to that for him but that seems to be if that's like if you're going to look for the note the main uh the takeaway point Jesus. yeah but it's all it's not just a kind of administrative point for him like we've kind of fleshed it out as we've read it um from ignatius um he's not just saying for the sake of the unity as a kind of pragmatic or utilitarian thing, right? Like we got to keep our numbers up so that we keep our the uh, the coffers filled so that the bishops can be able to have a live make a living. Uh, there's something really um, he actually makes it dogmatic, right? This the the unity with the bishop is because of unity uh, of the Godhead of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, he really sees. Um, the unity of flesh and spirit, so that the unity of the church is supposed to reflect and uh, especially be uh, undergirded by the unity that we see in God.
0: Well, there was, there was a point that, that uh, and this jumped out off the page to I me mean, in paragraph uh, three. Do not be deceived, my brothers, if anyone follows a maker of a schism, he will not inherit the kingdom of God like bam <laughs> what do you think about the, the, the strength of that
1: phrase who else talks like this you should not inherit the kingdom of God Jesus Jesus talks like this but somebody else that we talked about often as we're reading Ignatius see Paul. yes Paul talks like this quite a bit we're looking at the epistle to the Philadelphians. What? I mean, go ahead.
2: This is a, we say in the liturgy, right, to rightly divide the word of thy truth. Mm-hmm. Is that, <clears throat> again, from one of the epistles, or if that's... <coughs>
1: uh, I believe it is, actually. Oh, I think it's from one of the pastoral epistles, Timoth, 1st or 2nd okay, Timothy.
2: And I mean, to me, it's... What the bishop is, why we pray
1: for him so much. So what, So there's a specific uh, authority, um, or how should I say, um, purview of the bishop uh, that we talked about kind of at the beginning of the series on Ignatius. Um, what did the bishops in the early church, what was their main office? What were they, the main thing they were supposed to do? Mm. It's tied to exactly what Lynn is bringing up Start from the liturgy. Guard the flock. How do you guard the flock? was the main competency. If they are rightly dividing the word of truth, what does that mean? Preaching, interpreting, scripture. preaching, interpreting the scripture. So the early bishops were. Now this is always, and it's reflected um, uh, by, if I remember correctly, where the bishop is ordained before the gospel reading, because it is their purview to. Um, be the one who basically presides at the reading of the gospel the one who's to interpret to be able to preach uh, the word so the rightly dividing the word of truth is an aspect of the office of the bishop um, which you can see Ignatius here uh, again it's not pragmatic utilitarian but it's really it's a doctrinal issue the unity of the church uh, and st- staying together uh, is not just a kind of but well, that would be nice if we could all kind of have the same opinion about things. He's like, <laughs> no, it's not about opinions that brings the church together. It's our belief in who Jesus Christ is. And we look at the greeting of the Philadelphians. Um, the harmony that the church has been established is the har- harmony of God, which is uh, rejoicing unceasingly in the passion of our Lord. Uh, and then this this just strong language he uses here. I salute. I salute the church... In the, the, the Philadelphians, in the blood of Jesus Christ, who is our eternal and enduring joy, especially if men are in unity with the bishop, the presbyters, and the deacons, who have been appointed according to the mind of Christ, whom he has established in security after his own will and by his Holy Spirit. I think Micah brought up early on in talking about Ignatius that Ignatius loves to talk about the Father and the Son. But who d- doesn't seem to show up that often for Ignatius? Mm-hmm. The Holy Spirit. Um, well, here we actually get <laughs> an element where he he brings in the Holy Spirit. What is the what role
0: does the Holy Spirit play in the church here, according to Ignatius? Well, it's a security, insecurity by His Holy Spirit is, a, is the salutation. Mm-hmm because of uh,
1: being appointed the, the bishops, the presbyters, and the deacons. Right. You have God, uh, the Son, who has appointed them, and that they're established uh, after the will of the Holy Spirit. What do you think about the... I'm always... There are times and I don't know, maybe it's just me, As when I go back and read Paul from time to time, and even reading Ignatius here, where I'm struck by you have been around Christianity for a long time and you hear a lot of words <laughs> about Christianity uh, like yes it's about Jesus, it's about him dying on the cross and all this, I'm always struck by the, the I don't know if it's the intensity or the, the language of this uh, the passion of our Lord and saluting in the blood of Jesus Christ so that they the get to this like tangible, like concrete um, we are brought together uh, by the passion of Christ Like someone's death on a cross, his blood is what uh, secures us, is what brings us together. Always, that the like of all the words that we talk, and then you get down to this like really fundamental like we're brought together because of the blood of the Son of God. That's always just kind of it still jars me a little bit, or just the the grittiness of it, the detail, the specificity of it. It's not just ideas, but it's the blood of Jesus. I especially grew up singing of songs about the blood of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <You can laughs> away washed in the, in the blood of the blood of, the blood of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we even say, um, uh, after the commemorations, as we're uh, cleaning the discos off right after communion, um, the priest has, uh, he has a series of resurrectional hymns that he's saying as he puts the, um, the particle for the Theotokos into the chalice, then he puts the nine ranks of the saints into the chalice, and then as he's clearing off all the commemorations for the living and the dead, he says, wash away, O Lord, all the sins of those who have been commemorated here uh, by thy, through thy blood and the prayers of all thy saints. I'm always struck very strongly because of that specific line by... It's okay. it's no, no, no. He's got it. You're going to need it, David. You're going to have a lot of questions. about <laughs> that specific line about the blood, we're in the Epistle to the Philadelphians. Or if you don't want to, you don't. No, no, that. no, I read it the other day, but if you want me to look at it, it.
2: again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've actually been keeping up. That's excellent. I just didn't know you were. You're, you're here. keeping up better than I've, I been I been am. Sitting, I've been sitting there talking to Terry,
1: waiting right for you. Oh, really? Yeah, but I learned a lot from Terry. So excellent. You got a competition. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, uh, the next part I would like us to look at, unless somebody would like to sit, um, look at the greeting uh, any further um, is chapter 2 actually and just kind of underline there in the epistle to the Philadelphians of something that I think we all know and experience but just how important it is to understand that there are wicked doctrines and there are wolves that are out there uh that break up uh, the unity of the church uh that teach false doctrines and that we have a shepherd uh and the sheep we need to follow the shepherd yes mary
4: i was just saying i know
1: you know <laughs> this is you're not you're fully you're fully aware this i a, so this is a big thing so the Kentuckian for the apostles that we sang this morning uh, where it made mention of the throwing away of the idols. <laughs> I couldn't help but think of Pachamama, but... Pachamama and the Black <laughs> Uh... Especially I because we're know, I've been talking to Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Does everyone know what the Pachamama thing is? Oh, yeah. So there's. I'll try to keep this as short as possible. Basically, there's a huge perfluffle in Rome because of the the Amazonian synod. They had this statue of Mother Earth or some kind of like local indigenous symbol of fertility that was put basically near the altar. And they even had, it. there was even a prayer to Pachamama. Well, they were They're prostrating through yeah. it. In
4: the Vatican Gardens, they had a big thing where they were prostrating to her. Not yeah. there, just one of the priests, but other... Yeah.
1: So it became the this... Yes. yes. Yeah. Not just in the, in the garden, in, 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 in the garden. No, not Amazon. in the Amazon. In at the Vatican. Wow. <laughs> so there was a
3: huge, like...
1: Kirchhoff <laughs> <laughs> was, yes. Very mild.
3: Me, uh, <laughs> yes.
1: Trying to somehow the they ended up in the Tiber. Yes, yes. they got thrown into the Tiber <laughs> Stop, by <sorry>. these <laughs> this, these young Viennese guys Viennese, yeah. coming down to like which is ironic. Yes, yeah, to, <laughs> to cleanse the church of idols. To play, to cleanse the church of idols. So it's just yeah. funny because we're singing the Kentucky this morning about you know the apostles who are coming to cleanse the idol, you know the I've idols. It and I, I and I as an Orthodox student I, was, I, it I said. Well, I think I I think we're gonna talk about the mass. The mass. The high mass. The well they Mama never made it to the High Mass. Well No, the
4: bowl for her made it onto the altar of St. Peter's Basilica. I facility. didn't know that. The bowl the with hand the hand dirt, hand with the
3: plant, with, with the with an word offering flour. to her and the
4: flowers on top. I the Pope took it from her
3: handed it to his top
4: open. guys. The only thing he took. He didn't take any other things. The other things were taken around to the side to put on the altar. He handed me, and that person put it on the corner of the altar, right before the consecration. And it was there for the whole rest of the Mass. That's so not, it's, But that's not that's not an
3: offering. It
4: is. It does have an offering in it. In, no, in the, dirt. I, the offering
3: is in the dirt, but the, that's her. That's the point. She
4: represents, the, the dirt well, represents well, she Well, the, the plant
3: itself is an it's idol. Right. That's the point. This kind of the key there you go but but that's what everybody's well it's not really in that well it kind of is no it's not because it's not made made manual. so that's not the point that's not the point
4: this 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 is this was the the next thing so it is gone to the extreme like it is a like Frank said, like or whatever the word is not the right word. It, it, yeah, it right it we be, anymore it's a scandal. In God. Yeah. It, it As be, it in should. the traditional
3: sense of leads to sin, it's yeah. a scandal.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. scandal on. If it. Had, <laughs> I mean, if it had been in, in the United States and especially in the South, there would have been some shooting.
4: I think everyone was so relieved not to see the statue that they didn't know what the bowl was until after the fact.
1: I didn't read about that. I can only keep up so it's much, and I'm just like, not my
3: not my monkeys. It's hard to imagine you could have a procession into St. Peter's and St. Paul's with a woman carrying a bowl, and she's in the front of the procession, and nobody know what it is. Excuse me, Lord Jesus of Mary Joseph, I just have a hard time. Well,
2: remember that, those things are
3: so tightly regulated. The, the curia are all over them. I
2: thought they said bowl. <laughs> yeah, like
1: the golden cow. No, or it's not an empty bowl. P- it's p- a p- 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 it's p- got it's p- got p- a p- specific p- plant. It's got a specific. Oh, plant that's got so a specific. Everyone p- plant. is hearing bowl as in papal bowl or like golden bull <laughs> <laughs> like like bowl. B O W L, husband of a cow, or
0: yeah.
3: B-O-W-L, and the the bowl, and there's specific instructions on how you take the dirt, and you put the dirt in the bowl, and you dig a hole in the middle of the bowl, and you pour in specific kinds of water and minerals and stuff like that, and then put the plant in in order for it to actually be
1: hurt. Fascinating.
0: Chapter 3. No no, 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 Because, actually,
1: That's guess chapter what? Two. Chapter 3. So, chapter 2 is evil. important. But chapter 3, keep yourselves from those evil plants. Because Jesus Christ does not tend. Because they're not the planting of oh the Father. Oh, my Did you guys say that? Chapter 3. Look at Mary's face. What does your translation say, David? It
3: says, having nothing to do with such poisonous. Fruit. I don't have my reading glasses.
1: So mine says evil plants. Oh, the There you go. This says
4: wicked plants.
1: Not that I have found the divisions among you, but exceeding purity. For as many as are of God and Jesus Christ are also with the bishop. Well, that's something. Yes, I know, but I just thought it was funny that we're talking about yeah, the plant, probably. and
0: now we're talking about like, keep yourselves away from the plant. That's not a coincidence. Be, you, <laughs> there are no coincidences. It's the God's way of remaining anonymous. Is the only coincidence I believe in. <laughs>
3: you can't see there are any plants that are not of the Father's plant because all the plants are of the Father's
1: planting. It says that they're not, but there are plants that are not of the father. Well how can there be plants
3: that are not of the Father's planting? He's the creator.
1: Because I think we're talking about a different level than
0: creation. I think we're talking about creation deviating away from. Oh, okay. Or follow creation. Well you can appropriate anything for evil. Like, you know, you can and and it's and it's really what the devil does. The devil can't make anything good. The devil can only take the good that yeah. God has made and it like, you know. He can, he, can take, uh, he can take sex and turn it into pornography, or infidelity, or adultery, or turn food into, into gluttony, you know, just, so.
1: What, what is, I find it fascinating at the end of chapter 3, so yes, you know, there's schism, there are folks who would like to destroy the unity of the church because they have their own particular doctrines, or their uh, particular interpretations, etc., what does he base this around? I find it passage at the very end of chapter 3. Maybe somebody with a different translation than mine can read it.
4: You want the whole sentence or just the just last Just the cards. whole sentence, please. Uh, let me see. Do not be deceived, my brothers. If anyone follows a maker of schism, he will, quote, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If anyone walks in strange doctrine, he has no share in the passion.
1: What is the passion there that he'd be referring to?
4: The one back here in the first chapter, the first Uh intro? Which is the passion Passion of of
1: our Lord. Very interesting how deeply he sees. So I think a lot of us growing up with, or just it's in the water here in North America, that the church is basically an invisible bond, right? Where we all kind of have the same ideas. Uh, I keep on kind of saying this, but I'm kind of trying to come at it as another angle. Ignatius has a much stronger connection between beliefs, unity, and the actual, like, Jesus Christ. We, we have this uh, idea, and I think a lot of it has to do with the historic, the, that you can see, for example, in, like, the search for the historical Jesus, where we're going to, like, differentiate. There's, these are the authentic sayings of Jesus. These are church sayings. And we're going to put a gap there between them, mostly because we don't agree with the church and we like Jesus to be something different than what the church is. Ignatius definitely does not have this gap uh, between, for him, the unity of the church, the teachings of the church are all even tied up closely with the very passion uh, of Jesus Christ. And then it comes even sacramental, right? And in chapter Mm 4, this then is, you're to have one Eucharist. There's only, and why? Because there's one flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's one cup of the unity of his blood. There's one altar, as there is one bishop. You can see a theme here. Along with the presbytery and deacons, my fellow servants, that so whatsoever you do, you may do it according to the will of God. What does this language of chapter 4 sound like? It sounds like another chapter 4 of another epistle that Ignatius did not write.
2: Yeah, one Lord, one faith, one baptism.
1: Which is Paul, Ephesians 4. <laughs> Sorry, that's where it is. You get a very strong sense of the unity of the church bound up together, one baptism, one Lord, one faith. Here he makes it one Eucharist, one flesh, one cup, one altar, one bishop. Any questions or comments
3: about? It's interesting because I was just listening to that St. Tikon's podcast on canonical law where the fellow was talking about one city, one bishop.
1: Father Alexander? What? Huh? Alexander Vidal about canon law. Was that him? Okay,
3: I don't know what I just listen. And it, it really struck me as you talked about it, I thought, yeah, okay, right, yeah, sure, it, it, the way he laid it out, was, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, one city, one bishop. You've got, sure, love- you got a group of bishops, you've got a metropolitan, you get a bigger group, you get a synod, it's one city, one bishop, and, and his argument was that's actually Catholic- Catholicity, it's actually universalism, although it looks parochial, but it's actually Catholic in the, in, the, in the sense of the word universal, not Roman. But, yeah. but, you know, universal because you've got one bishop and all the bishops... No bishop makes a change without communion and consensus with all the other bishops and everything's
1: yes. Catholic. If, if you would like to, as the development of the, if you want to say, a synodal structure of the church, you can already see here at Ignatius this understanding of um well the three ranks right there's deacon priest and bishop mm-hmm. and you also see him in the way he's talking to, for example polycarp who's a fellow bishop uh, and he talks about bishops as these symbols of unity this is exactly then what happens then for a synodal level that the unity of the church the primate is the bishop of one particular place so Metropolitan Tikon is the archbishop of washington then you say, and it, it's all in the title, right? He's the Archbishop of Washington, so he has this particular diocese, comma, Metropolitan of All-America and Canada. He is the primate of the Orthodox Church in America, but he is the the bishop of one diocese, and if he makes, and it's through him that the Synod basically then is represented to the broader other sister churches, where they have their, their one face through their patriarch to each other, so you have basically the kind of a broader synodal, if you want to say like representation going on um, on a universal level through the primates of local churches Um, but you see through all of that the responsibility is still rooted in the bishop of being of a particular place it's really only later that you start getting kind of um, well if you ever meet like a um, because there are auxiliary bishops they basically exist to help the bishop of a diocese but because of that, they actually don't have the same kind of... They're all equal in the Episcopate, but they don't have the same... Um, how shall I say this? They do, they do not run the diocese, whoever the bishop is of the diocese. So it's just an, a later interesting development. But
3: Let me go back to the Roman Catholic Church for a minute. The Pope is the Bishop of Rome. Right. And it's something I've always respected Francis for. Francis talks about himself as the Bishop of Rome. He's a primate, but he's, his job is to be the bishop of Rome. I said the only issue is that
1: Roman Catholic teaching about the bishop of Rome is different than... Exactly. So exactly. exactly. But, but so he's, the, he's the first pope in centuries. To he, identify. Ratzinger, Ratzinger, t- dialed back some of the rhetoric. I don't know. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. But, but, it, but Francis did. has gone a lot farther than anybody else. I mean, he's a, a dealer.
3: He himself. as the bishop <laughs> of Rome. He doesn't. He, he say what?
4: So it's just a shame he's a heretic. <laughs> oh,
3: anyway. Right.
4: Um. So.
3: so <laughs> People say the same thing about Ratzinger, and I love him too. So. They, Ig- uh,
4: Ignatius was. Um, they First century. Second right? century. Which one? Second century. Second century, okay. And it just struck me like how early on the Eucharist is very prominent, also very clear on what the Eucharist oh, consists yeah. of.
1: The Ignatius is usually if there's going to be a, a, the grounds where you're gonna have arguments about things, it's gonna be Ignatius. If there is debates with Protestantism, it's around typically Ignatius. Especially and also for episcopacy. In chapter 5, well, I don't want this to just, there are any other aspects, there are, are a few aspects here of chapter 5 and chapter 8 of the Epistles to the Philadelphians that I would like to go over, and then we should, can move on to the next epistle. In chapter 5, Ignatius very specifically says, Let us also love the prophets. "...because they too have proclaimed the gospel, and placed their hope in him, and waited for him, and whom also, believing they were saved, through union to Jesus Christ, being holy men, worthy of love and admiration, having had witness borne to them by Jesus Christ, and being reckoned along with us in the gospel of the common hope." You go to chapter 6, the reason why he's bringing this up is because there's obviously people that are preaching the Jewish law. I mean, this is a very Pauline problematic, right? Uh, is better to hearken to Christian doctrine from a man who has been circumcised than to Judaism from one uncircumcised you can see here that you're already having if the early church, the nascent church is still, was still kind of um, sifting what exactly its relationship is going to be to broader Judaism you can see in Ignatius there's a kind of definite in it, there's a break right, and there are those who are following Christian doctrine, and those who are then not following Christian doctrine. Um, so, the reason I bring up all of this is this fascinating way that he talks about the prophets, and the way that they uh, saw Jesus Christ. Uh, let's see here. They proclaimed the gospel, they placed their hope in him, they waited for him. Uh, his interpretation of the prophets um If you then look at um, chapter 8, you have then this issue again of Judaizers or those who are teaching to follow Jewish law. Let's see here, let me try to find it real quick. In the very middle of chapter 8, when I heard some saying, If I do not find it in the ancient scriptures, I will not believe the gospel. Who, would, who do you think would say, if I don't find it in the ancient scriptures, I do not believe the gospel? Saviorcy. Oh. Right? Okay.
3: So,
1: no, Ju- yeah. Jews. Jews. You say Baptists. Scribes. <French, laughs> warriors. Lynn said
0: Baptists. Okay. <laughs> the second Apollonial version. In, uh, <laughs> in the King James Version. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely.
3: <laughs> oh.
1: On, I, I will not. So, on my saying to them, it is written. Right? They answer me, that remains to be proved. But to me, so if you have this if you have here Ignatius kind of pulling back the curtain on early like disagreement about interpretation of scripture. That you have those who are saying, I don't see this in the text. And Ignatius says, Oh, it's there. And they say, That I don't think so. <laughs> and he says, To me, Jesus Christ is in the place of all that is ancient. His cross, death, and resurrection, and the faith which is by Him, are undefiled monuments of antiquity. Does somebody else have a different translation. Wow, I don't song. like. My, I don't but like But for monument. my part, but for
3: my part, my records are Jesus Christ. For me, the sacrosanct records of are His cross and death and resurrection and the faith that comes through him. So, the ancient documents? Let me back back it up. Let let me do the whole paragraph. I don't think think it's... If you don't mind. Certain people declared in my hearing, unless I can find a thing in our ancient records, I refuse to believe in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And when I assured them that it is indeed in the ancient scriptures, they they, um, retorted... (laughs) <laughs> I know have reading glasses, this print so tiny. They retorted, this has got to be proved, but for my part, my records are Jesus Christ for me. The sacrosanct records, he's talking about the ancient records, uh-huh. the sacrosanct records are his cross and death and resurrection and the faith that comes through him. And it is by these and by the help of your prayers that I am hoping to be justified.
1: So, what do you think he's talking about?
4: If there's any question, we're going to go by the cross. Right. Jesus said and did.
1: So, he's saying if there's an interpretive gap here, right? You have folks who have the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, and they're saying, I don't see this here. And he's saying, Well, the key to it, this is my language, but I think he would basically agree with it. The key to unlocking all of this, this thing that Paul talks about, right? Like, there's a veil over the eyes of those who cannot read or see uh, in the text. Uh, for him, he says, well, the key to all of it is Jesus Christ. The first principle to unlocking and understanding it is the cross, the death, and the resurrection. Because that's what this, I don't like this monuments of antiquity, but that's basically the, what you said, sacrosanct. Mm-hmm. Uh records. records. Or mm.
4: say inviolable characters.
0: Inviolable characters. Characters or charters. Is it Inviolable
4: characters are his cross and death and his resurrection.
0: So so what it um is is, is he saying, for instance, like a, you know, you well you, you look at you look at uh, Noah's Ark and you see it in the context of 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 Christianity and now it, it it has now now the relationship is clear or uh, yes. you you see uh, ark wood tree cross yeah, yeah yeah and and so it 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 brings it brings you around on that but the water and
3: the water and, wa- and, and, and it is surrounded by water which is the I'm going to confess okay I was listening to Father Stephen De Young's Sunday night Bible lessons which at first he was teaching he was in the, uh, the Orthodox priest in Charleston was down moved to Louisiana, I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm just up to, uh, uh, we're just doing Proverbs. but Father of the did a wonderful job for me of getting me to do just what I did. Now when I read the Old Testament, when I see both, I, I go wood, cross, tree, cross, it's all cross. And he's also taught me that in the ancient world, the waters are chaos. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's why in Genesis you know God, you know, there's the waters the, the, that's the representation of God it's the chaos God speaks and order comes out of chaos. It's, all,
1: it's also the Psalms as well. Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, I read the Psalms every day and since I've been listening to this it's like every time I read a Psalm I see Jesus He's in every single Psalm. And if He told me that two years ago I would have said, what are you talking about? And never says a word about it. So it's, it's what's it's fascinating, thing. like
1: for all of. But the, it's a habit.
3: Excuse me. I'm sorry. You just finished. It's become a habit. You have to work at it. But if you work at it, it, it at least for me, I've worked at it and I've studied it. And after a well, while, it just
1: yeah. I can I see it's, before it's, he says it. Now. It's the very. It's the habit in mind of the church, yeah. to do this. And unfortunately, what <clears throat> has happened a lot is the habit and mind of most. Christianity is not to actually read it within the church as Jesus Christ is the key, but to ask all of the other questions about, did this really happen? (laughs) All all these other questions, and they're not unimportant questions, but it's not actually the question. I think Ignatius actually kind of is hitting on a (laughs) proto-historical problem before we even have the kind of problems that we have now. like, He's basically saying the whole key to it is Jesus Christ. And the meaning of it is going to be found in Jesus Christ. Well, because as chapter one. 9 says... He's having the same problem with the Pharisees
3: and the Sadducees, And also of course it's the same problem, right, Father, on the road to Emmaus. Right. The so, disciples themselves are walking down to the road to Emmaus. And they can't get it. Jesus has to explain
1: You're not reading the Old Testament with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is where you get in chapter 9 uh, the, that the beloved prophets announced him the gospel is the perfection of immortality. That all, you know, he's the door of the Father by which enter Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the prophets, the apostles, and the church. You have a very strong sense in uh, Ignatius, uh, because in the early church you have also a challenge, which happens later, of uh, Marcion, which are you familiar at all with Marcion and his? This is actually a, cont- a continuous issue. Marcion basically said that there's two gods there's a God of the Old Testament, and there's a God of the New Testament. And in fact, the God of the New Testament's lovey-dovey and nice, and the God of the Old Testament, well, he's a pretty bad, horrific person. So we need to basically ignore the Old Testament and only pay attention to the New Testament. He even had his own canon, which were particular parts of the Gospels and parts of Paul, and then basically, uh, I think certain sections of Old Testament? I don't know if he even had parts of the Old Testament. I can't remember off the top of my head so this is a constant challenge for the church is how do you keep the old testament and the new testament together because it's
3: not how you read the old testament
1: right that 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 is the entire interpretive key hermeneutical key for the church is that jesus christ is the answer to how we read the old testament so that if every time we read psalms every time we do procurement every time we do you know all of the old testament readings uh they are the key is uh the cross of christ but it's also, I would expand it a little bit beyond that because it's the entire economy of salvation, right? Because even we will then find the Theotokos, we will find uh, the church. You'll see this all through the fathers too. They, they, they find Jesus throughout the old, all the old Testament, but they also find the Theotokos and they find the church and they find the expansion, uh, the inbringing of the Gentiles. They find all of this within the Old Testament. Um, so let's move to the Epistle to the Smyrnians. Can you finish that paragraph? Because it says something like a task with the... Well, S- I, I want to keep moving because we... Uh, yes, sir. Don't have time. We'll talk about it. <laughs> what time is it right now?
2: 1.33.
1: We've already been going 37 minutes we've got the one epistle. So, let's try in the next 15 minutes to get to the next two. Um... Are there any aspects of the epistle to the Smyrnians?
0: I, I think that it's, big, it's essentially a, a, a creed that he's setting forth. Yes. And then holding in that one. forth in, in opposition to, uh, well, to, to, to the heresies. Right.
1: And I think, he, he, again, this is even more explicit in the direct connection between doctrines, unity of the church, and then praxis, or how you actually live out the faith. So, for example, in chapter 1, uh, I have observed you are perfected in, in an immovable faith, as if you were nailed to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, both in the flesh and the spirit, and established in love through the blood of Christ. Then he kind of does a mini creed, a creedal statement there. Um, he then, let's see here. Let's go to chapter 6, actually, because this love that nails flesh and spirit, he then talks about how, because of that love in Jesus Christ, that nails down flesh and spirit. In chapter 6, you can see this. Uh, those who deny uh, who Christ is believe not in the blood of Christ or in him coming in the flesh. They consider those who are of a different opinion, the very end of chapter 6, probably like the second sentence, Consider those of a different opinion, aka heresies, with respect to the grace of Christ which is coming to us, how opposed they are to the will of God. They have no regard for love, no care for the widow, or the orphan, or the oppressed, of the bond, or of the free, of the hungry, or of the thirsty. Flowing into chapter 7. They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer, because they confess not the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, which suffered for our sins, and which the Father of his goodness raised up again. I think Ignatius is, for me, at his most powerful when he, uh, again, that concrete, concretizing of the faith, that the reason that we share in the Eucharist is of our belief in our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That this is the medicine of mortality, to use the language that he used, uh, that he himself and he 's going to his martyrdom, as we were talking about last week, uh, that he is going to become the very bread and blood and commune uh, through his martyrdom in jesus christ, and here he 's very clear to say to confess these things means i kind of do it opposite, speaking oppositely of the way that he does here uh, that then we should be regarding with love the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, those uh, in bondage, those. Uh, the free, the hungry and the thirsty that to confess who Jesus Christ is to commune in the Eucharist is then to actually care for the flesh and the people all around us who are suffering but there's not a disconnection, right? Spiritualized things that we do in church versus the world uh, but you have a very concrete if you confess who Jesus Christ is uh, the love that you're going to have that nails down the flesh and the spirit means Communion in the Eucharist is also attending uh, to us, as, as John Chrysostom also talked about the uh, altar of the other. Right? Well, we have the altar where we uh, commune with Jesus Christ, and then we have the altar of those who are in need that we are to uh, worship God at, basically by giving alms and uh, attending to. I'm sorry, which chapter was that? To what I just said yeah. about the altar of the other? No, but the the. the, 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 the. The main points work. I was talking about? Huh? Chapter 6 and Chapter 7. Thank you.
3: Sorry, I got distracted.
1: Okay. I think that, that is the big takeaway for me from this epistle of the unity of, you know, we've, we're constantly talking about unity, but that unity is also kind of solidarity with the world and uh, folks who need our, our love and attention.
4: It's like the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love.
1: If it, it's not faith if it doesn't express itself through love, mm-hmm. and it's not love if it doesn't express itself through faith in a certain yeah. Mm-hmm. Faith without works. Well, faith without works, mm-hmm. that epistle of straw. Why would you bring up that one? <laughs> 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 so the altar of the
4: other, where did you get that phrase? Chrysostom.
1: That's like what I like to nickname your husband as Chrysostomus. He likes that. (laughs) Are there other uh, Smyrnian points that you all would like to make? I probably focus on that because I think it really is the, the the great takeaway. And a lot of the other things that he does in this epistle are similar to other epistles that we've read. It's just fascinating to read Ignatius and to see already. I don't want to say proto-orthodoxy because it is just what the church is—the orthodox church, church. But to see so clearly in a second-century author all of the basic outline of exactly what we do and believe and practice and preach and hope to practice in our own lives here at St. Anne's that, you know, if we're going to uh, come together for the Eucharist, we're doing it in communion with our bishop, we are doing it with uh, the presbyters, uh, God willing, hopefully a deacon at some point (laughs) soon, so we can have all three. Uh, And then we are trying to serve uh, each other in right doctrine and maintaining apostolic teaching so that we can maintain apostolic ministry. Yes, well,
2: this may be way off track, but it seemed to be in all three of these letters about sending somebody to Antioch mm-hmm. to say, we're glad you're over, you know, the, that conflict and that thing. I mean, we in America have this long Ranger type of mm-hmm. attitude, mm-hmm. and there's certainly, there's so much to do. Like in St. Anne, all the time, there's just so much to do, and yet he's saying take some time and resources and send somebody, that's a long trip, you know? That's a long ways away to get to Antioch and say, hang in there guys, we're, we're rooting for you. I mean, it's, am I making sense?
1: Uh, that sense we, we of actually, being yeah.
2: connected with other churches even if they're really, really far away. That was one of the points
1: I made and I'm glad to hear that again because Ignatius is helpful And the since I think it was the first or second class trying to underline the broader uh, I think I was talking about most epistles he talks about seeing in the face of your bishop the whole people and that there's this communion that occurs between uh, this local body of Christians and then uh, the person or the body of Christ that he represents in another location uh, and the need for us to be able to Yes, it's, it is incredible and well and good that we have a good, strong community here, but that we're part of a broader <laughs> church that's not just here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we have sister churches, that we have other parishes around us that we need to maintain good relationships with, uh, that we have gifts and surpluses or uh, even, I would say, not negatives, but uh, places where we can live off of some of the positives from somebody like St. Athanasius up in Lexington I know has some particular strengths that they might be able to then help encourage us to do X, Y, or Z give us the blueprints for how to do it and send, you know, uh, it's always good to visit. You've been up to St. Athanasius, David, or uh, to, around to other local parishes to be able to share in the faith of Christ and to encourage one another.
4: So, yep. in, in uh, the intro to Frank's book, it says that Ignatius um, according to Eusebius, he was appointed as the second bishop around AD 69. So they're they're, they're saying here how in all you are of Ignatius because he was actually alive. Maybe even some of the apostles were still so yep. alive. Yep, yeah. Like he just he was not just second century, but even first century. Possibly just so. Yeah, there, there's a lot of
1: debate about what ex- what exactly the time frame is. I forget what um, I said. And then I first. Uh, talk. I basically gave a lecture about a kind of framework for approaching Ignatius and tying him into the apostolic, you know, who he was close to. Polycarp was somebody who's also was a disciple of John. That he wrote, he wrote yeah, this next know. letter. But yeah, so we're we're talking about. I mean, this is why they got the name apostolic fathers, which is when the past two or three hundred years they start calling apostolic fathers, but. Hmm. So, because of the Reformation stuff. Well, I'm chuckling because it occurred
3: to me they might be better called apostolic children. The children? Because they're like first generation. <laughs> they, they're right after the, the you consider the apostles, the fathers is the first generation right after the apostles.
4: So forgive me if you've already answered this question, but how were these letters used when he would write them would it be the priest who read them, or the bishop who read his letter on that other city? Oh,
1: that's a good question. I don't know. I know it would have been read aloud, for example, when we read this letter to Polycarp. It's obvious he's not just talking to Polycarp, right? Because why would you tell Polycarp to give heed to the bishop?
4: (laughs) So is it for the bishop to read out to the congregation? Uh, Absolutely. That's
1: definitely the, the practice. I mean, this is the same with Pauline letters. They basically read them aloud to each other. And they basically kept reading them aloud to each other. The whole practice that we do, I'm still, again, this is one of those things where I'm just kind of like in awe of or just go, we read other people's mail (laughs) as authoritative, like, scripture for us. It's just fascinating. And we don't even have the response back. (laughs) We read Paul's letter to the Corinthians and there might be another one that we don't, we don't have access to. And then you have, maybe, it could be possibly third Corinthians instead of Second Corinthians. Right? There's a lot of debate. Because there seems to be things are happening in the way he's talking in 2 Corinthians, like there was another letter that he sent. Uh, but with, these are these, these texts that we use, and they're to a particular community, right? We can even read these. These are for two particular communities that have particular challenges. And we're reading them and saying, yeah, that's kind of like what our situation is. For him to know what the
4: situation was, he always was getting letters from their bishop to him first, right? Reporting all. And that's also been the fascinating,
1: I would say, hermeneutical Mm -hmm. challenge there too. Is like, then you're always having to kind of guess what the original problematic exactly was. But I think that actually is a, a, a blessing, actually, because what it allows is us to actually be able to treat the text as scripture. So that it's easier for us to actually extrapolate and find meaning in it for ourselves instead of always sitting and saying, so I wonder what they were doing in Corinth that caused Paul to say da-da-da. Man, those Corinthians. (laughs) Like, everything is just going back to, like, oh, what what was going on with them? It's like, no, you know, what is the sin in our midst? You know, what is the problems that we're facing? How are we not unified? How are we divided? How are we following after somebody else or something else than Jesus Christ or, you know? I don't think we have any problems with anybody being with their mother-in-law or anything like that, but
0: we're in that way. Not a chance. We're not. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not. But just uh, no. It, it, one, one thing that you begin to uh, realize, if, if, well, especially if you practice criminal law for a number of years, is that people aren't that creative. <laughs> there's only so sin is not very original. Yeah, you yeah. just you, you can kind of. Th- there's only certain. Well, anyhow. Only one original sin. I've heard that before.
1: <laughs> Is there anything in the epistle to Polycarp (laughs) that you all would like to? I I appreciated the kind of pastoral advice that he gives to Polycarp, actually. The end of chapter 1, he says, Be watchful, possessing a sleepless spirit. Speak to every man separately, as God enables you. Bear the infirmities of all as being a perfect athlete in the Christian life. Where the labor is great, the gain is all the more that sounds like somebody. I appreciate <laughs> it sounds like somebody's run a race somebody like Paul mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, Ignatius definitely knew his Pauline metaphors and epistles I really like I just underlined speak to every man separately as God enables you uh, what I took from that and it's something that you'll find later in like Basil the Great and other fathers about pastoral ministry is that and this isn't just for the priest, but everyone needs a word <laughs> said to them that's individualized to where they are, who they are, what they're struggling with, mm. and that you can't just kind of blanket. You can exhort people to certain things, but the way that they're going to have to struggle or be encouraged or you know what they have to accomplish is it's all going to be in every person separately wow. that you're going to have to actually speak to, wow. uh, or that we can help each other because we're all if we're going to go back to even you know early ignatian things we're all our particular words of christ and we all want to become a word of christ but we all will say something different have a different accent of how we're going to articulate christ so i think there's a lot of wisdom because it's very easy to say like christianity is x and and it's like, yes, Christianity are these confessions, these particular virtues, these particular ways of fleshing it out. But every individual person is going to be called to a different particular way of doing that. You know, we're not all, not all going. That's why I left, like the saints. So You can see, like, that's a lot of different people <laughs> with a lot of different blessings and a lot of different callings. And I'm really glad about that guy or that gal because I, I'm, I could have never have done that because that's just not my strength. To be able to be surrounded by all these different examples and ranks and places where we can find holiness that's not just, you know, one size fits all. That Christ can be, for everyone, what they need. Peter and Paul did not get along. That's Peter and Paul. I mean, that's the icon that them. But,
3: but I mean but I mean you're you talking about your Christianity being different for different
1: people. I apostles. Mean, There's bishops on the synod who don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> I mean you've got monks, you've got apostles so do that don't do
0: the C D chart very carefully. Yes, to make sure. <laughs> the problem is in an Orthodox
1: service, you know where you're standing. <laughs> There's not an MC won't move you anywhere.
4: I just read this actually, just like yesterday. Like, don't, that you should learn from the saints, but don't imitate any particular one, because each person is their own saint. Like, yeah. it's called to be their own particular saint.
1: Yeah. I think it's hard in, in Orthodoxy, and I don't know if it's because of convert literature or what it is exactly. I, I do think one, one aspect I think is because Orthodoxy has been so, I um, mean, I don't think this is necessarily a negative thing, necessarily. But tinged by monastic Christianity and monastic flavor to things. That most of the time, when we, if it's not a martyr, we're going to be celebrating a faithful husband and wife. Not usually. <laughs> we're usually celebrating a. a <laughs> right, which is actually the 20th century Russian church, Have the 21st century Russian church has like. Elevated and ah. said, "Hey, oh, okay. uh, because of need, mm-hmm. because before you, you basically usually were going to be celebrating a monk or a nun, mm-hmm. that or a bishop."
4: It's the same with the Catholic Church. There's a very few men, uh, lay people, especially yeah. mar- married people. So Saints uh, Zeli and oh my God, uh, the, the little flowers' parents. Like That's what Very few. We were.
1: To, I asked David the other night about Teresa of Whether I was like, isn't her parents? Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're on.
4: Are they already saints now? I don't know if they are fully. I think they are definitely beatified. I'm not sure if they have been fully canonized yet.
0: Uh-huh.
1: See all of these levels of saints. I know. It always <laughs> confuses me. That's uh, so
0: funny to me because. To me, it always stands out, Joachim and Anna, Mary and Joseph. It, to me, it's like, no, oh, it's really... Well,
1: you know, that's, oh, that sorry. is, in the history of the church, like the cult of, uh, good sense of cult, of St. Anne, because uh, there's a particular book I'm actually wanting to get, Lynn you might be particularly interested in. I might ILL it, but it's the history of Western uh, liturgical, like, uh, paintings of St. Anne, and the oh. development of the churches and things, of devotion to St. Anne, uh, maybe one was in Constantinople too but um, specific around Joachim and Anna being being helpful for childbearing that you have the development of these particular needs of people and then the cult that kind of grows up around prayer for those particular needs um, but then you think of Joachim and Anna and some of those and then the, the bar that is set where you have infertility is a, a massive issue which is, is still an issue today but um, I don't know if it's the same. It, at least today, you can kind of figure out a lot of aspects of infertility in a way that, like historically, you would not have been able to figure out much of anything mm-hmm. about infertility besides a huge question mark or a sign of shame, as the, in Joachim and Anna's day. But yeah, but to have married saints, there's yeah, you're, there are the biblical couples, but beyond, once you start pushing beyond that, there's not very many. Examples of saints that are canonized specifically because of their uh, faithfulness in marriage, but that's also I, I think that's fair. But you have basically the main categories you see of canonization is propagation or uh, of the faith and like um, or building up or protecting the faith. If you get like um, czars and uh, princes or queens and uh, and then martyrs. Those are the, the kind of the top tiers or like the most that you're going to see in the But Which got me wondering how come we, double, we seem to elevate Anna above Ochoa King. I think we just do that here because of Sands. That's not, uh, and some of it I think has to do with the iconographic thing too.
3: Yeah. We've, got, right. we've got, we've got an icon too. Well, there's there is a
1: there is a feast day for Joachim and Anne. They're they are right. celebrated together. We just focus on Anne. Uh, which do we do the death of Saint Anne? I'm trying to remember. I, I believe t- I believe we
0: do. And mm-hmm. and the other thing is is, I the the the, the marriage of Saint Joachim and Anne were and it it was it was a it was a very holy marriage. Mm-hmm. And like like you go back and read. In uh, the cynics area, and about their about their lives, and, mm-hmm. and they they lived a very chaste life, mm-hmm. and and you know in the context of marriage, and yeah, I think that's something people often often lose the you know, They 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 say, well, uh, we need to promote chastity, the priesthood. I'm like, yeah, well, the married people have a chaste life also. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Uh, and and it's exactly. people people lose that. They they they, they lose yeah. the focus on that
3: exactly I, yeah. and I'm also thinking of uh, Climacus Climacus got that beautiful passage on I think it's step one yes yes, a beautiful John, passage on yeah. marriage
1: yeah mm-hmm. well I, I don't mean all this to say that the church denigrates marriage I just mean that the typical image of holiness that is put up is not oh, I agree. Yeah. the example yeah, I, I agree. of marriage as yeah. like it's, we're,
3: we're <coughs> kind of <coughs> discussing exceptions yeah. to the general rule yeah that of this. yeah, so, yeah.
1: Are there any other aspects of this letter to Polycarp? There is one. Yeah. When you mentioned,
2: what was it said, try to give everybody a word where, I can't remember where exactly. Uh, end of oh, chapter one. end of chapter one. Some people personally. I mean, in a growing church, that's that's really a challenge for the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It seems to me that, that others, s- say small groups or, or other um, Places where people get together might offer opportunities for that to happen.
1: I agree. I think um, I think the, the example here that he is giving to, pretty sure that he's specifically talking to Polycarp because he kind of goes back and forth here, talking to. Well, I mean, here's the thing. I, like we said earlier, I think even in this letter even if parts of it are specifically to Polycarp, they still reverberate among the whole parish, right? It's not like he's getting a private letter This will be read out loud to the parish so even in his exhortation to the bishop I think that exhortation can then uh, outside of the particular purviews of being a bishop, they can apply to everybody
2: Well, see, like in the beginning of chapter 6 pay regard to your bishop I mean, he's obviously then talking right, exactly. about congregation Yep
1: I think things like do not let widows be neglected, do you know, uh, actually love each other has got to be more than the clergy doing it, because I'm going to tell you they're going to burn out real quick. Because <laughs> they can't just be them. That's not the point of the body. Maybe we can end uh, Ignatius with um, the end of chapter three, where he is basically encouraging them Um, Let me just read chapter 3 as our end for the study of Ignatius. Let not those who seem worthy of credit, uh, but teach strange doctrines, fill you with apprehension. Stand firm as does an anvil which is beaten. It is the part of a noble athlete to be wounded. (laughs) I felt like that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It is part of a noble athlete to be wounded and yet to conquer. And especially we ought to bear all things for the sake of God, that he also may bear with us. Be ever becoming more zealous than what you are. Weigh carefully the times. Look for him who is above all time, eternal and invisible, yet who will become visible for our sakes, impalpable and impassable, yet who became passable on our account, and who in every kind of way suffered for our sakes. I think encouragement of Ignatius to Polycarp to stand firm, to be an anvil, to uh, be a wounded athlete who is still set to conquer uh, aware of what's going on around, but always being more zealous for God and for the God who suffered for our sakes is a right meet and right way to end our reading of Ignatius's epistles.